Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us online this week. I want to begin, first of all, by thanking you for, for all of your prayers. Uh, many of you know that back on May 4th, I had my left knee replaced, and I have a ways to go, but I'm getting better, and I want to thank you for praying. And then this last week has been a very difficult one. Uh, somewhere in the evening of May 18th, my mom went home to be with Jesus, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a really tough week. But God has been faithful, uh, and it's also been really good to see all of my family. But I've got to tell you, as you would expect, my mom is going to be missed big time. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for praying. I want to thank you for all of your support and your love. And, you know, truthfully, it's in times like these when we just kind of live a little more aware of our need for each other. And so I want to thank you for the way that you've cared for me and for our family. Before I jump into my message for this week, I want to share a little good news with you. If you're in our chat, can somebody just type, I could use some good news. I want to share with you that in the three weeks that we've had so far of our drive through dinners at Plum Creek, because of your irrational generosity and because of our partnership together with local restaurants that's helping them weather this COVID-19 storm too, in the first week, we were able to provide, in addition to all of us getting our meals, 266 other meals that were distributed to uh, police officers, to Southridge Elementary, and the Help and Hope Center. And then in the second week, we were able to provide $1,200 of meal vouchers to Wellspring Community. And then this last week, another $1,838 were raised for for the Rescue Denver. I want to thank you guys for your generosity and for helping us to, to really initiate and to see God's love being poured out into this valley and meeting needs all over us. So thank you. So as we get started, I want to share with you this story. Perhaps you've heard of James Stockdale. He was a U.S. Navy pilot whose plane was actually shot down in 1965 during the Vietnam War. <clears throat> he was placed in a POW camp that famously has been known as the Hanoi Hilton. He was a prisoner of war and treated brutally for the next seven and a half years after his captivity. And he eventually made it out. And he went on to become a Navy vice admiral and then a U.S. vice presidential candidate. His story has been detailed in several different books, but in particular, this best-selling book on leadership and business called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And I want to share with you a part of what he said in this interview that's recorded in that book. He said this, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. And then later in this interview, he was asked about those who didn't make it out of Vietnam. And Stockdale replied this, this way. He said, oh, that's easy. It was the optimists. He said, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas and Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter and then Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And Stockdale said this, they died of a broken heart. And then he added this and said, this is a very important lesson that he learned while in that prisoner of war camp. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end 
which you can never lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. This philosophical duality has become known as the Stockdale Paradox. And today, I want to use this paradox as a springboard to speak to something that God has really been challenging me with over the last several weeks. You see, you and I need to cultivate the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our current reality. And over the past several weeks, my prayer has been that this weekend will be a monumental one for all of us as Plum Creekers and for each of us that call ourselves Christ followers. So this weekend, I want to focus in on a psalm and a prayer. And I want you to allow these words to take us where we need to go this weekend. I want to start with the psalm, Psalm 133. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your devices, you can swipe there. Psalm 133, just three verses says this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon was falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let me read that verse one more time, just that first verse. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Can I just share my heart for just a second? We are living in a very unique time. For most of us, we've never seen anything like this before. The word that everybody seems to be using is unprecedented. And I think that word is appropriate because it's unprecedented for so many reasons. I mean, we're living in a global pandemic with global shutdown, and all of these things have impacted all of us in very different ways. And there's lots of emotions surrounding the way that that we're responding to all that's happening. Listen, if you have family or loved ones, or perhaps even yourself, that has contracted COVID-19 and had to fight for your life, Or perhaps for some, maybe someone you know, this horrible and extremely emotional place that that you're in is because someone that you know or love has passed away. I want you to hear this. My heart breaks for you. And if you have family or loved ones or perhaps yourself that has lost everything due to this virus and the stay-at-home orders and now you're facing perhaps job loss and security seems to be shaken, finances and business and home, all of these things are at stake. Like This is horrible and it's heartbreaking. And again, I want you to hear me say that, that man, my heart breaks for you and I'm praying for you. In addition to all of these horrific extremes, there are all kinds of other nuanced realities that are kind of in between these extremes as well. And perhaps you're in what has been called the vulnerable population, and this can be scary for all kinds of reasons. If you're like me, it's likely you're exhausted by the ongoing, daily, and ever-changing details that we seem to be bombarded with every single day. And I've got to tell you that one of the most frustrating aspects of navigating all that's happening in the world around us, for me, is is just trying to sort through all of the noise to determine what is actually truth. 
A couple of weeks ago, my sister forwarded me this video of a gal on Facebook that shot a video like a news anchor. Perhaps you've seen it. She did an amazing job, and she was highlighting all of the ridiculous contradictions in the constant flow of recommendations and details surrounding this virus that really over-communicated the reality that we clearly don't know very much at all. And it was done well, and it, it was expressed kind of the angst that we've all felt for sure that I've been feeling over these past 12 weeks. The bottom line is this. We're feeling emotionally worn out, and we all feel very differently about all that's happening in our world around us. And I understand why some of you may be responding with anxiety surrounding contracting this virus. And I understand why you may be exhausted and emotionally depleted, scared, facing economic disaster. But let me confront a brutal fact of our current reality. We are all emotionally worn out and we all feel very differently about all of this. But please hear me. I have never sensed in my lifetime the tension that I now feel that has become of our kind of new normal of, of doing life. I've never sensed the extreme polarization of ideas that I now sense in our culture today. And our emotions are running at full tilt and everyone is worn thin and understandably so. You add to all of this, this being an election year and all of the, of the different opinions that this brings. And then again, this week, being faced with the brutal reality of racism again, put on display this week in Minnesota with the sick and senseless killing of George Floyd. Listen, you and I should be outraged. God help each of us to recognize and deal with the sin that is in all of us. And to all of this landscape, we now find ourselves trying to navigate all of this. And as Christ followers, Listen, guys, we need the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of our current reality. So let me go back to that first verse of Psalm 133 again. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now for King David, who wrote those words, unity was rare. His father and his brothers, they didn't have a high opinion of him at all. His employer, Saul, maybe you remember the story, hated him without cause. Even his wife, Michael, despised him for his devotion to God. His sons were fighting with each other, and one of his sons even staged a rebellion against him. He had enemies literally hunting him down regularly. And so it's not surprising that David would then compare living in harmony to the once-in-a-lifetime anointing of the high priest or the rarity of a, a heavy Mount Hermon-like dew falling on the much lower situated Mount Zion. And isn't it interesting that God would use the very man who lacked harmony in his own life to be the catalyst to unify the kingdom of Israel and to make its capital, Jerusalem, called the city of peace. Here's my main thought for this weekend. Unity is the catalyst to the success of our mission. Let me say that one more time. Unity is the catalyst to the success of our mission. You see, guys, there really should be something very different about us as Christ followers. 
And if unity is the catalyst to the success of Jesus's mission, then we have to know together that the opposite is true as well. Disunity disrupts and destroys Jesus's mission. So now let's make this personal. You see, my participation in disunity disrupts and destroys Jesus's mission as well. And when you and I destroy unity in the church, we rip the heart out of the body of Christ. And I told you that this weekend, I wanted to look at a psalm and a prayer. And now I want you to look quickly at this prayer with me. And it's not just any prayer. It's Jesus's last prayer before he heads to the cross. And he prays over his dearly loved disciples, but that's not where this prayer stops. I want you to look at the words carefully because you're gonna see that he also prays for you and me. This prayer is found in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And together, I wanna read verse 20 and 21. So let's read this together. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Of all of the things that Jesus would pray in his last prayer before he headed to the cross, why this? Why would he pray for unity? You see, it was really about the world, the world around us being able to see and to believe that Jesus was sent by his heavenly father. And I want you to hit pause for just a second and reflect on this. When Jesus prays this last prayer, he literally is praying for you and I that we would follow his example and passionately pursue unity together. Why? Before I show you this why, let me share with you a couple of vitally important distinctives related to this unity that Jesus is talking about. First of all, I want you to notice that unity is not uniformity. In verse 21, when Jesus was praying, he said, I pray that all will be one just as you and I are one. You see, this unity that Jesus is praying for isn't about sameness. You see, it's about oneness. You have Jesus and the heavenly father, two distinct different, but yet unified. Unified in what way? That's the second part about this unity that you need to see, that this unity is purpose-driven, not person-driven. And this is so vital for all of us to see. Ultimately, you see, this life isn't about me. It's not about you. We all bring our distinctiveness to the table, and that's okay, because that's not what this is about. It's really about our distinctiveness coming together with unity of purpose, our distinctiveness pulling in the same direction with the same goal. Let me try and illustrate. You see, I used to play the violin back in the day and I was in the symphony when I was in junior high and high school. And I still enjoy going to the symphony today. And there's this unique thing that happens at the beginning before any, any orchestra would begin to play. You see, before the symphony begins, there's this random tuning of and practicing of all the different instruments. And so all the different musicians are kind of working through different things and tuning their instruments, and it all sounds just a bit chaotic. And then everything changes. You see, the conductor raises their baton, 
And then this random sound of the individual musician stops. And all of a sudden, the common musical goal begins to emerge beautifully as they play. Distinct individuals, distinct instruments, with all different sounds now coming together, pulling in the same direction, the same goal. And as you watch and as you listen, it is absolutely beautiful. And you see, this is a great word picture of what Jesus is praying for, each of us, bringing our distinctiveness, the different ways that we've been created, and yet pulling in the same direction with the same goal. What is our common goal? You see, you and I need to know this. Let's go back to what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. Look what he says in verses 20 and 21 again. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and I. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. And as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Did you catch it? You see, this isn't about me and it's not about you. It's never been and it never will be about us. You see, this is why we exist, so that the world will know why Jesus was sent to earth, so that the world will know that they have a heavenly father that loves them. And guys, the stakes are high. This unity that Jesus was praying for is the very thing that will catch the eye of the world around us. Again, please hear me. This is not sameness, but rather oneness together of purpose. You see, unity really is the catalyst to the success of this mission that we're on together. Again, not about me, not about my agenda, not about you, and not about your agenda. This is not person-driven, it's purpose-driven. Please hear me, this does not mean that we all have to think the same about everything. You see, we can have opinions, and we have lots of reasons for feeling the way that we do. And we have heartfelt, deep convictions about all that's happening in our world today. And I want you to hear my heart. This is our Father's heart as well. It's okay. As long as we also realize that the stakes are high. And that although we may see some things differently, listen, we must remain unified and singularly focused on what matters most. You see, the way that I do my business, the way that I express myself, the way that I post online, the way that I treat people, even people that may feel very differently than I do. Listen, the way that you express yourself and post yourself online. Listen, even when people feel differently than the way that we do, the way that we all are doing this is pulling All of us, it must be pulling all of us in the same direction in a way that makes Jesus famous, in a way that communicates the reality of the gospel and God's love for us. Listen, these these are unprecedented times. Let me me just try and illustrate to you in a way that we're all gonna be familiar, just kind of the the place that we are in together as a culture. Let me, let me show you this. You've seen these before. It's amazing how a little piece of cloth and a little bit of, uh, of, of these things that will hold it on your face have become so polarizing. Who would have ever thought that a mask 
could, could communicate so much in the world that we live in. It's all based on your paradigm and it's all based on your perspective. And if I were to put this mask on right now, there are some of you that would be offended that I'm wearing a mask because of your perspective and all that you have been dealing with and thinking about in one more order of what you, what you must do is one that's just exhausting to you. And then for others, if this face mask isn't worn, it's, it's impacting you and touching you deeply because of your paradigm and your perspective. And it, it maybe is communicating that I don't care about your physical well-being. Can I tell you what I think we need to do? Instead of passing judgment on each other, you know what we need to do? Man, we need, we need to listen to each other. We need to listen to the narrative without being just in that mindset where you're preparing for a rebuttal to prove your point. Rather, I think it would be so healthy for us to spend some time listening to each other's stories so that we could understand why we're feeling the way we do. And I guarantee you, if we just slow down enough to actually listen to each other, to talk to each other, then all of a sudden we'll have a heart for understanding the motivation of for why wearing or not wearing a mask matters now. And then let's take this one step further. Let's, let's just even try and think. Three months ago, who would have ever even thought that this was possible, that the thought of a church reopening would be as polarizing as it is? Let me speak to this for just a minute. I know you know this but I take the responsibility of leading our church very, very seriously. And I want you to hear me say this. We don't have a date for the reopening of our building yet. But I also want to clarify something with you. The church has never been closed. Our building, yeah, it's been closed. But as we've said since the beginning of Plum Creek, the church isn't about a building. It's us. And let me assure you of something. There's nobody that wants our church to be reopened and back to normal more than I do. And I know that there are lots of different feelings about reopening. Here's what I also know. We have a solid track record together, you and I. And I want you to hear my heart when I say that as I have led Plum Creek Church for the last 15 years, I have waited to hear from God on every major initiative and decision that we have ever had to make. I have never been afraid to make bold decisions, nor am I afraid of what others will think of me. I know you understand that I take my position very seriously because you know that I and I alone will be held accountable to the Lord as the lead pastor of Plum Creek. And I don't say what I'm about to say flippantly or out of some kind of convenience or because it may sound spiritual. I want you to know that all of the decisions surrounding this are very complicated. They're multifaceted in more ways than any of us fully understand, myself included. But I will not give the go-ahead to reopen our church doors until I know that I have heard confirmation from the Lord to do so. I also want you to hear me say this, and this is so important. This is not a political decision to me. It's about hearing from God, and it's about our people's safety it's about doing what we do with excellence, with the singular focus together of making Jesus famous. Can I very directly just ask you today, how are you doing personally in regards to promoting unity? 
And listen, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that you don't have opinions and ideas and thoughts that are deeply convicted in your heart. Remember, it's never been about sameness. It's about Jesus and it's about his mission. It's about our mission together. And guys, listen, there needs to be something very different about us. So I want to challenge you to be quick to listen. I want you to be slow to speak and even slower to post. I want you to be quick to pray and be quick to actively listen to each other's stories. Because listen, together, we're living on mission. And the stakes, especially in this season, are so high. Our unity, again, not our conformity, is a big part of what impacts the world around us. And listen, here's, here's what's crazy, is that all of this isn't enough. Psalm 133 concludes by telling us that when we live this way, in unity together, that the Lord commands his blessing on us. That fires me up. And I've got to tell you, I think we are all in need right now of God's blessing. So listen to me. I want all of us who call Plum Creek home to be part of answering Jesus's prayer for unity because it's the catalyst to the success of our mission. And I'm gonna ask you now just to, to bow your head with me for just a moment. And I wanna speak kind of a prayer, but also a challenge over you that comes directly from Romans chapter 12. And I want you to allow God to use these words to speak to you, to challenge you, to convict you if need be. And then listen, we're gonna sing a song uh, again together in worship, but I want it to be a song of reflection again about all that we've been talking about today and how this applies to you and I personally. So if you'd bow your head right now, I, wanna, I just wanna pray this over you, these words from Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Listen, when we hear this challenge today and we hear the heart of Jesus as he prays this prayer that we would be unified together. Listen, sometimes when we hear this and we look at the state of the culture and the world around us, we think there's no way that we can do that. But I want you to hear my heart today. There's no way that Jesus would pray this prayer and challenge us to live this way and then leave us to figure this out on our own. You see, this comes as a direct part of our relationship with him and the spirit of God at work in our lives to make this happen, to challenge us where we need to be challenged, but also to, to have his strength and his power at work to care about the world around us in this way. And so now we're gonna sing this song. It's called Waymaker because that's who he is. And when it feels like we don't have the strength to do it on our own, we need to be reminded that he most definitely is our way maker. 
So as we sing this song again with a, with a heart of reflection and listening to the voice of God today, as it relates to everything we've been talking about, I want you to hear what God would say through the words of this song.